right, and we're back for another episode of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Lakers Fast Break, Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, and Inside Sports Fantasy Football. We appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. And if you get a chance after you listen to this program, I'm telling you, if you are an aficionado or someone who really loves the NBA draft, I don't want to say NBA draft junkies yet because I will be here in a second. But an NBA draft aficionado or someone who really follows it, you need to check out all of our great podcasts that are still viable, still full of great content that's fresh, that's still that you can hear and is still relevant today over on our Lakers Fast Break channel, on Podbean, on the Anchor app as well, or anywhere you get your podcast, because you'll be listening to over, I think, 12, 13 different NBA draft podcasts that are there specifically focused on the NBA draft. So I hope you get a chance to check that out today. But also, we're going to be talking to NBA draft because our countdown continues right here at the Lakers Fast Break. We're up to the top 10 shooting guards headed for the NBA draft. And you know him as the man behind the great site, NBADraftJunkies.com. You got to check it out today. All the great stuff, not only his mock draft, but his profiles and everything there. And then while you're at it, Go to YouTube, NBA Draft Junkies channel there. Subscribe, like his videos, check out all the great breakdowns of both some of the good and some of the not-so-good things about this year's draft prospects here at the NBA Draft Junkies YouTube channel. It is a good man indeed, Mr. Rafael Barlow. And Rafael, thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be a guest on your show and to talk basketball and NBA draft, stuff that I love, so... I feel like I should be thanking you for this opportunity. Oh, no, no. It's always great talking to you, my friend. I just love it. Uh, I know that our conversations have gotten pretty in-depth overall in the draft, and it's still, even with all the conversations we have, there's still so much more to talk about, and that's what I love about this time of the year, this, this kind of uncertainty that we have, even more so, obviously, because the unfortunate incidents going on with the with the pandemic and all that, but there's still all this type of uncertainty that you have as far as trying to project all these NBA prospects that are that are coming out there or the ones that are currently enrolled into the NBA draft. So we're focusing today on the shooting guards, and we left the guards specifically for last, meaning the shooting and the point guards, because as you know, this is now more than ever a guard-driven league here in the NBA. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the game has just changed so much. I can't really tell you the exact year that I thought it changed. I guess you can say maybe the Warriors' first championship year. Um, but ever since then, it's just, I mean, the game has just changed. It's a guard league. And then I also feel like, and we've talked about it before, but I feel like guys that are more so scorers, then complementary players are losing their value while guys that are have a certain role that they can fill as just three and D guys are becoming more and more valuable. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of the guys that are in this shooting guard list could be some of the guys that I think that are really good scores and isolation scores, they're low on this draft list, or at least low on my list, not because they can't play, it's just because of fit. So even as like a person that analyzes the draft, you have to adjust your rankings based off of today's game as opposed to the player's actual game, which is which is kind of different. 
It is. It is. And uh, I'm glad you're able to go ahead and, uh, for lack of a better term, roll with the punches what the NBA has been delivering as far as how that has changed over the course of the past even decade. And like, I, like you said, I agree with you that the Warriors' success was pretty much the impetus to go ahead and change as a whole and evolve as a whole. I mean, there were some signs, obviously, you and I could tell mm-hmm. uh, after, I think, the Lakers' championship, which had more of a, you know, a, a different traditional style offense. Obviously, uh, Phil Jackson was using the triangle then, and mm-hmm. then it evolved into what uh, the Miami situation where they where they won but it is still more reliant on on lebron but you saw with Dwayne wade and the way he was playing he was still a vital part of that and chris brosh playing as an undersized center uh, also maybe kind of leaned it towards that direction but you're right uh, it started to i think evolve a little bit there but we really saw it during the context of when the golden state warriors became the premier basketball team in the nba I agree. And I guess if you really look back at it, the Oklahoma City Thunder, when they added Kendrick Perkins, that was specifically for the Lakers. You know, stop because you couldn't get out the West if you couldn't stop Bynum and Gasol down low. And so uh, and then once they made it to the finals that year, Perkins was a liability against the Heat because they didn't have a post player for him to guard and they played small and shot threes. And I remember specifically that series, him getting back on defense and going straight to the paint while Battier or, or Bosch, whoever was playing the five. They're just going to the corner. Going to the corner and he was left in no man's land. So that could have been like one of the first signs, I agree. And then Golden State just kind of took it to another level when they finished games with their small ball lineup with Draymond at the five. And, it's just changed scouting, and it's. Uh, but that's what I love about basketball because it's it's a copycat league, and it, it evolves. I do think eventually the bigs may come back, but as of right now, it's if you're a specialist, if you can knock down shots, then you, you may have more value than a guy that's a one-on-one isolation player, which wasn't the case 10, 15 years ago. And that's something we would have to wait and see because if a Shaquille O'Neal ends up getting drafted or mm-hmm. a Shaquille O'Neal, that type, similar type body type and skill, I mean, you're going to utilize him no matter what mm-hmm. type of NBA. I mean, there, there, there are transcendent players throughout time that would excel at any point in time in the league. I think, like you said, that centers could become more of a, of a viability at some point down the road, but it's going to take that right center. And I don't think we see that at this point in time. Yeah, even with Shaquille, I think he would still be as dominant, maybe a little bit more dominant offensively. But he'd be playing at smaller guys. Yeah. But I wonder on the defensive end, how many teams would just say, okay, we'll just trade two for three all night. We'll put a guy like, I don't know, um, a Ryan Anderson who's not playing anymore. At least I don't think he. Not in the league, but I think he's playing overseas. Yeah, but a guy like Ryan Anderson who, or a Channing Frye type player who they may just say, you know, we'll just straight two for three all night. Shaq, you can get your two points. Maybe we'll foul you, but we're going to put you in a pick and roll situation and we'll dare you to go out on the perimeter. So it would be definitely like a game of 
cat and mouse and strategy. And I, I wish it was something that we could see. Um, but unfortunately, we don't have anybody that's as dominant as Shaq in the league today. But I think it'd be interesting to see if like Philadelphia, if a healthy Embiid could ever make a deep playoff run and see how teams would strategize against defending him and making him play defense. That Orlando team in 2009 that the Lakers beat, that's someone, that's a team I think that could have been like a model for mm -hmm. what was to come. I just don't think the Orlando shooters for the most part were good enough at that point in time to go ahead and really be, you know, effective enough to go ahead and surpass the Lakers. Obviously they weren't, but mm -hmm. I think that was kind of like the model you wanted to have going forward in today's NBA. Yeah. I mean, they were big. I mean, they had a big front line. I mean, I think they may have went like 6'10", 6'10", and however tall Dwight is, depending on who you ask, I've seen 6'9", and 6'11". And, yeah, they, they ran like a four out, one in. and Or even you can say if Dwight would have accepted the role as just a role man instead of wanting post touches, like he's accepted this year with the Lakers, how different would that Orlando team have been or, or, or so on. I, I still believe Dwight could be a – a dominant player in this league. It's just a matter of him. If he plays like he played this year for the Lakers, I think he could beat them, but we're getting way off. <laughs> oh, no. And, and I talked about this actually with Laker Tom the other day from mm -hmm. Lakerholics.net about Dwight Howard. I don't think he's going to stay. I know there's an article out that has him saying it would be a mistake for him to leave the Lakers, but I think him, like you said, if he's found this new newfound acceptance of pick and roll, that Golden State or another team similar to that would be dying to have him as their starting center. And I think that for him, in fact, with a protracted salary cap, would be too good to pass up. Yeah. It's just a matter of believing if if he's a, he'll accept it. I don't know. It's something about the Lakers. They've gotten guys to – they've been able to maximize what they're getting out of, like JaVale and Dwight and, and Payne and – little bit of nothing yeah uh, but i think i think it's based off the player if you have the ultimate respect for lebron mm -hmm. i think also curry demands that kind of respect i think there's very few players like you said that can get someone like howard to go ahead and comply and i think that's that you know, there's that small list and whether it's the warriors whether it's the lakers but you're right uh, we're getting off a little off base here but i'll tell you what that's something to think about the way the nba is ever evolving and shooting guards are still depending on who you talk to throughout history, are still a major part of that equation and to have the right type of shooting guard that can go ahead and play that perimeter defense, be able to switch off and also be able to shoot effectively uh, is something that's very desired amongst the NBA, even to this day. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where 
Here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse, every week on Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. So let's go ahead and get into our countdown. We're already a few minutes in, so I appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today, Raphael, on the top 10 shooting guards in the NBA draft. So let's head off our list with number 10 for your list of the top 10 shooting guards coming to the NBA draft. Now that's as of now, in case anybody decides to go ahead and go back to school or go back to Europe or whatnot. But yeah, I think we should start with a good number 10. All right, yeah, so number 10 is a guy... Very interesting prospect. Um, He's a guy that I would definitely take a flyer on. I would love to see him develop. He could swing between the two and the three, but since he didn't make my list of threes, I put him as the two. Um, Derek Austin out of Boise State. He's 6'9". He's really, really skinny, but he's skilled. He's more of a scorer than a shooter, but you don't see too many guys at that size that can – handle the ball and and make some of the plays that he makes. He's definitely under the radar. Like I say, he could be a project just because he'd have to make sure that his game fits and complements another star. But he's a guy that I could also see playing in the G League and putting up major numbers, but then still having a hard time finding a role. But again, he shot you know, respectable, 30, about 33% from three. And he rebounds. He can pass a little bit. He's skilled. He's a guy that I would take. So I have him at number 10 on my list. So that's number 10 on your list. And one thing I wanted to ask you, because you said he's got great height, and I was reading up on that at six foot nine. Mm-hmm. You know, you said he's a project baby developing and whatnot, and he also needs the right complementary player for him. What about on the defensive end? Does he use that height? to his advantage against other shooting guards, which will for on most nights be a lot smaller than, you know, maybe two, three, four inches smaller than what he's going to be playing up against. Does he use that height advantage effectively? No, that's an area that I think he definitely needs to um, improve on. Even if you just look at his raw stats, he didn't get a lot of steals. He averaged less than a steal a game, less than a block a game. Um, So I think that's the area that he would definitely need to improve on. If he was like an intense defender, I think he would be higher on a lot of draft boards, but it's just his skill set and his baseline of skills is, is what I'm I'm banking on. All right. Well, that's, again, a good effective player right there at number 10 that could develop into something. I think, like you said, if he stays at shooting guard, I think he has a better chance to play in the league. And I know he was not, or he just missed your list of small forwards. So mm-hmm. I think if that's the case, I think a better for him to go ahead and hopefully have a long-term career, I think it would have to be at the shooting guard to be more effective. Yeah, I mean, I think with the way the NBA is going positionless, um, the right fit, the right team, and a couple changes to his game, 
he could swing between two through four. And I think a team would love that type of versatility, but it's just a matter of him making a couple of tweaks and adjustments or in the right fit. And like I said, he's a guy that I could see carving out a career as a, a role player, or I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that dominates the G League, struggles finding fit in the NBA, and then ends up having a successful career overseas, whether it's in Europe or China, as a professional scorer, as a guy that just puts up a lot of points in those type of leagues. So who do you have at number nine? Number nine, as far as the top 10 shooting guards headed to the NBA draft. Number nine is a guy that could also swing between the two and the three. Um, it's Cassius Stanley from Duke. I never really thought of him as a, a one-and-done prospect, um, you know, coming into this year. Are you, all, thinking, are you thinking he may go back? I'm not, I'm not sure at this point. You know, honestly, I probably wouldn't go back simply because you don't know if there's going to be a college basketball season. I would predict there will be an NBA season before college basketball season just because, um, I mean, at least everything I've seen, they don't even think students would be on campus in August. So yeah. it's a really weird time. But, I mean, for him at the minimum, I would at least test the waters. And um, I think he had a good enough year. He has what you can't teach. He's a freak athlete. He shot well from three. And I think that he's a guy that um, I think his age may play a little role. If I'm not mistaken, he's a little bit older than a lot of the other players in his class. But he's a guy that. And you and I always know that being older is not better for the NBA draft. Definitely, which is I mean, I I get it. You know, you you want a guy who's as far away from his um, prime as possible (laughs) in some cases. But and I think in other cases. You, you may want a guy that's older that can contribute right away. So it just matters of acquired taste. But, yeah, Cassius Stanley is a guy that, um, you know, he's efficient this year from the floor. He's, um, like I said, a freak athlete. He's actually a pretty decent shot blocker for a wing. And in our, you know, open court team that's going to get up and down and run, he's a guy that I think would thrive and excel just – running the lanes and an open court. And if he can just develop a more consistent shot as a corner three guy, I could definitely see him being like a three and D athletic wing that just knows his role and carves out a long NBA career. And that's something that has to be developed. It's it's something that it should be for any player outside of a dominant center. Like you said, at least a short corner three has to be something you developed it, it can be developed you know, rather easily because it's not that far of a shot. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it's just a matter of, of accepting the role of not being able to have the ball in your hands all the time and your main role is just to sit there and wait for someone to pass you the ball and, and you, you don't have a lot of freedom. So I think some guys struggle with that. But if you – if you can make that adjustment, I believe you can have a long career because, I mean, look at Trevor Ariza. Trevor Ariza probably doesn't dribble more than twice anytime he has the ball. But he's he has to be on that. I think he's in the same class as LeBron. Well, high school class as LeBron. So he might be on year 15 or 16. And he's made a lot of money, and he's played on championship teams, 
but he's a guy that has just accepted his role and, and maximized or mastered his role. And I think he's a guy that should be an example for a lot of guys who are athletic, who come into the league as athletes, may not be have the reputation as being great shooters, but if you developed, you can always compliment any star. And that's what Ariza has done. Absolutely on that one. I, I thank him for his great efforts, especially in that pivotal game in Orlando. Speaking of Orlando, going back mm-hmm. to Orlando, uh, that and Dwight Howard, unfortunately, not remembering how to, to shoot a free throw. Thank you very much, by the way, Dwight. And unfortunately, the Lakers decided not to keep him next year and instead got Ron Artest or Meta World Peace. And that worked out as well. <laughs> so, yeah. For both of them. I, yeah. I, think like, I think because Ariza hadn't really made a lot of money at that point and because there's no state tax in Houston, he probably netted like $5 million more than Artest just over the length of their contracts just off of saving with no state tax alone. So <laughs> it was a win for both sides. It was a win for both sides. And uh, of course, as Laker fans, we remember it fondly on both occasions. So uh, I will go ahead and say that it's something that these players have to master. If you cannot master at the top of the key, if you cannot master on the sides, mm-hmm. you at least have to go ahead and do the short corner. At least if you can hit 35 to 40%, of your shots from the corner, you're going to be a valuable player in this league. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's like you said, it's something that can be worked on. If um, I mean, I guess from my experience as a trainer and you may remember the name, he had a short cup of coffee with the Lakers, but um, Chris Douglas Roberts, he had played, he was in camp with the Lakers. I want to say 2012 and he had just got cut. And um you know, I, I was working for the Texas Legends at the time, and he mentioned to me, just kind of off the subject, he's like, well, what do you think I need to work on? I mean, I'm better than a lot of these guys. And one of the comments I made to him was, so I don't know if you compliment Kobe. I said, I know you're used to having the ball in your hands, and, you know, you like to dribble and dance around with the ball, and everyone knows you can score, but it's just a matter of can you compliment Kobe? So he gave me and my brother an opportunity to train him the following summer, and all we did was shoot threes. He made three or four hundred threes five days a week, and he ended up getting back in the league and playing with Charlotte, but his role in Charlotte was to knock down corner threes, and I want to say he made about 38% of, of threes that year. He made more threes in his first month back than he had made his whole career before, and uh, he ended up getting a couple contracts before he just decided to to um, you know, retire from basketball, but I feel like there's a lot of guys that could just make the same adjustment. Just stand in that corner, three, four hundred threes a day all summer long, and it can extend your career. It can, and I just think it's the uh, you have to go ahead and I know this is a very loose analogy, but uh, go ahead. It's it's like poor free throwers. Not mm-hmm. accepting the fact that they, uh, the granny, the granny style, they could probably improve their free throw percentage literally 10, 20, 30 percent in some cases, you know, and uh, because obviously whatever they're doing at the free throw line isn't working right now. But except oh, this is not manly or this is this is just not not a good look for me. It's embarrassing. Well, going to the short corner, some of these players, I would imagine it's like almost like an ego hit. OK, go sit in the corner and wait for the ball. And for, like you said, a lot of these players, 
all their careers have had the ball in their hand and they are so used to a certain style of playing. Now you're telling them to go ahead and PJ Tucker over to the side yet PJ Tucker, look at his career. Look how much money he's made. Look at what he's done because mm -hmm. he went and decided to go ahead and commit to something in the corner. It's not, people just got to understand that it's such an analytical and, and statistical and data driven world right now that that's where, in a lot of cases, it's most advantageous for you to lengthen your career. But you see, like you said, a lot of these players are not actually committing to that because of whatever reasons. They, just, they don't want to do what's best for their careers ultimately. They just want to go ahead and, and stick to what they know. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely an adjustment because I've been in a lot of gyms over the summers and worked with different trainers. And most guys are training as if they're going to have the ball in their hands all summer. Most guys are training as if they're going to have the same role as a James Harden, a Steph Curry, or a guy that's going to have the ball. So you're working on your one-on-one -on -one moves, spin moves, Euro steps, so on and so on. And I'm not against that, but I think you have to understand your role in the NBA and who's on your team. If you play with James Harden, you know you're not going to have the ball in your hands unless you're Russell Westbrook. If you play with LeBron, you know LeBron is not going to play off the ball. So you have to find a way to make sure that you can stay on the court with him. If you master knocking down shots and you play with LeBron, he's going to get you open looks and he's going to make you a lot of money. <laughs> so, you know, it's just one of those things where I think everyone should at least put up two to three hundred catch and shoot threes every summer at the minimum, even if you play with the ball in your hands a lot. And if you don't, four or five hundred. Uh, like, like you said, it's now, you know, it's three for two, as you said earlier in, in the podcast, and it's three for two. And if you don't understand that you need to go ahead and develop that outside, then you're going to be left behind. And that's going to be a shame for a waste of your talents and what could have been a long NBA career, because you're going to find yourself out of the league faster rather than go ahead and stay in there much longer. So, you know, yep. it was one of those things. So right now we're going to go ahead into number eight on your countdown for the top 10 shooting guards headed to the NBA draft. Number eight, I have um, CJ Ellaby out of Washington state. He's a guy that I probably had a little higher on this list coming into the season. He didn't shoot the ball as well. Um, in his sophomore year, as he did his freshman year. But I'm going to just take a gamble and say that was a one-year thing. He really didn't shoot the ball well at all this year. He shot below 40% from the field and only about 34% from three compared to the 41% that he shot his freshman year. But what I like about him is he's a, a wing, but he rebounds like a big. He averaged nearly eight rebounds a game. He gets a couple steals a game. And I'm um, I'm a believer in his shooting. I just think that he he had an off year, but he's a guy that I would like. Even if I'm the Lakers, he's a guy that I would love to have because I believe that I mind stocking him, him as a shooter. He shot over 80% from the free throw line. And if you're one of those people that believes free throw shooting is a good indication of how you develop as a three-point shooter, I'm buying stock into C.J. Ellaby. And that's something as well people have to look at. It's like you said, the statistics have bared out that somebody who's shooting well free throw-wise 
more than likely can develop that shot from the three-point range to an adequate level. Also as well, the steals from a defensive standpoint. I know John Hollinger was on Chad Ford's podcast again the other day and noted that steals, unless you're on a college team or a EuroLeague team that full court presses all the time, steals is an indicator to them, GMs or people that look at analyzed data and whatnot, that steals is a often a, an, an indicator of the defensive ability of a certain individual. I agree to a certain extent, but then you may have guys that gamble all the time in the passing lanes, and they may get two steals a game gambling, but they may give up eight points. But then there are guys who, if they get their steals because they have excellent hands, like a Ron Artest, then I think that's where it may translate a little more. But I do, I do think steals and blocks, I think there are some guys that can pad their stats, like guys that they only chase blocks on the defensive end of the floor. So they, they, they're out of position or they just stay close to the rim so they can try to block shots and they give up mid-range jumpers or uncontested jumpers. So I do think in some ways steals and blocks can be empty stats but I guess you have to watch the film and look at the stats as opposed to just looking at the numbers and not watching the film. Because I think Allen Iverson, for example, was a guy that got, got a lot, lot of steals. steals, but he gambled in the passing lanes. But he also had my tumble behind him. For Rondo. While, so. Yep. But Rondo in his heyday was a good on-ball defender. Yeah. But later on, as he got older, which we are very familiar with now on the Lakers, uh, it just gambles on steals a lot and doesn't mm-hmm. stick to on defense. So you're right. That could be an indicator. But I was found it interesting that he said that on a recent yeah. Chad Ford podcast that steals were an indicator for him when he was, uh, uh, you know, working in the front office for the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, that that was an indicator as far as defensive uh, alignment is concerned. But uh, again, ultimately, the tape and the the videos mm-hmm. is, is, you know, that dictates, you know, virtually everything. You got to see where in context it lies and all that. So, Yep, I agree 100%. So number seven, we're down to number seven on your list of the top 10 shooting guards in the NBA draft. Who do you got at lucky number seven? Number seven, I have Elijah Hughes out of Syracuse. I think he fits more so of the mold as a scorer than a shooter. Um, He's also 22. So as we mentioned earlier, we know how – People feel about 22-year-olds, but he's had a, he had a good year. Averaged about 19 points a game. Shot around the mid-30s from three. Um, he's a pretty decent passer, 6'6". He's kind of more so the traditional 90s shooting guard style player. But he's a guy that if he could be one of the players that we talked about that really develops and, you know, a corner three and becomes a more consistent outside shooter from three – I think it will open up the the scoring ability that he has. So I and I'm a believer in it. I think that that's something that he can do. Um, he's a good free throw shooter, so I think that he can knock down open threes and compliment other guys. So that's why I have Elijah Hughes at number seven. Does it concern you at all? Like you said, he's a good free throw shooter, but does it concern you at all if he's in the 30s at the three point lane now, which is you know, I'm putting in context, three-point area is in college a little bit shorter than the mm-hmm. NBA three-point line. So that that always concerns me. I mean, we talked in the past about 
other players who shot well from the four, three point lane in college. That to me, I think translates a little better because to me, it's about statistical and averages in the distance from the basket. If that's the case, I mean, if you're shooting in the 30% range or 35% range now, does that translate into the low 30s from an NBA standpoint? Well, I think you also have to um, pay attention to the shots. And that's why I think the film is so much more important because even if you look at the NBA, for example, and if I'm not mistaken, Lonzo Ball shot a higher percentage from three than Luka Doncic. Yeah, he was at 40 uh, in the, at UCLA. He was in the 40s. Right. And But in the NBA, Lonzo was shooting open catch-and-shoot jumpers. Luka shooting step-back contested threes off the ball. So if you just look at percentage-wise, Lonzo is a better shooter. But who would you rather have as your shooter? And so I think with Elijah Hughes, his percentage is – like 34%, but I think he's, because he's a scorer, he took a lot of contested end of the shot clock threes as opposed to someone feeding him the ball or, you know, getting wide open looks. So that's why I think that his percentage is, um, it can rise because he may not have to take the same shots in the NBA. Because he was a primary source of the offense Mm -hmm. for Syracuse. Yeah, he's definitely a scorer for sure. So who do you have at number six for the countdown right now for the top 10 shooting guards in the NBA draft? Number six is is a guy that he's kind of like C.J. Ellaby that I thought would have a – well, his sophomore year wasn't as good as his freshman year, but I really like him as a shooter. And it's – I think we've talked about him before, but Isaiah Joe out of Arkansas. Quick trigger, he shot 41% from three as a freshman. It went down to about 34% this year. Um, very skinny. I mean, he's like listed at 6'5", 180, so he'll definitely need to bulk up. But he's a guy that I think that has his game fits the modern NBA. He gets a lot of steals, so I think Hollinger would like him. And um, he can shoot off the ball. As far as like on movement, you can you know put him in screens, catch and shoot. And um, he's he's a guy that I really like. Again, I'm, I'm buying stock in his uh, just I'm buying stock in his shooting long term. I think he just had an off year shooting this year. And um, well, did, was he was his volume a lot more? Because I would assume it'd be a, a more. I don't know how much more though. I've, I'm not looking at stats directly. Well, as a freshman, it was 41 percent. This year, he's played. He actually played less. Now he played more minutes this year. You know, as far as like minutes per game, but I want to say it was a new coach. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, it was a new coach. So, um, actually, it was. Um, oh, I can't think of his name right now off the top of my head. The coach at Nevada, he used to coach in the NBA. Oh, Musselman. Musselman. Yep. Yeah, he he attempted ten threes a game this year. Okay. So he shot thirty four percent on ten threes a game as a That's freshman. Right. Yeah, he attempted eight, but he's a specialist. And he has a role. He knows his role. And um, I think last year, I'm looking at the numbers. Last year, he took 10 points. Well, his freshman year, I'm sorry. He took 10 and a half shots a game, eight were threes. This year, he took around 14 shots a game and 10 were threes. So I guess they're similar, but he just did not shoot the ball as well. And another reason is because he was on everybody's scouting report this year, I believe. As a freshman, 
he also had Daniel Gafford his freshman year who commanded, you know, attention as a roller. Um, but um, yeah, I just think this year he was on everybody's scouting report. You know, you can't give him any looks because he'll make it. But I think that, like I said, I, I believe that his long-term role as a shooter, I think he's going to be an effective high 30s, 40% shooter in the NBA. All right. I'm just the only reason I'm saying those questions because I'm asking those questions. Hopefully, that a lot of these other individuals that are scouting and looking at them out there and looking at him and looking and seeing is making sure that that he might be somebody of interest. And you're right. It looks like since he's got onto the uh, the team at Arkansas, he both in his freshman and sophomore year, it looks like he's been used to a high volume of threes. So I'm just it's kind of concerning when that goes so dramatically down. I obviously mm -hmm. it, there was a, you know, something that went maybe a different style offense. Like you said, Musselman came over, Daniel Gafford left. There's so those variating factors that created that. But when you have that type of percentage loss, and I know we're t t focusing on the three point areas, but I'm, I know he's probably got some other skills that interest you as well. Yeah. But I like him as a defender. I think he has a similar body style or body type as Terrence Ferguson. Um, he's not as athletic as Terrence, but there are not a lot of people are. But Terrence doesn't always show his athleticism in games. It doesn't necessarily translate on, on the floor. But as far as like a guy that can like navigate around screens, sometimes being skinny is good because if you're chasing guys around screens or you can slide through the screens and and he's a guy that I, I I like his potential as a defender, especially because he's good in the passing lanes. And um, but like I said, he has a specific skill set that you know that what you're going to get out from him every night. You know that he's a threat, and you know that the gravity that he'll provide on the floor. And like you said, he's used to a heavy stream of passes headed his way at the three point area. Rather than someone who might have some good stats in college, but has only taken like one or two or three shots a game from the three-point area, he's used to going ahead time and time and time and time again shooting from that three-point area that that a lot of other players may not have that type of experience. When you're shooting forty percent, or when even you're shooting thirty-five to forty percent from the three area, you know, and you're shooting at a high volume. That to me is is much more intriguing than someone who shoots it maybe once or twice a game from the three point area and makes at 45 percent because you can see that they're used to that kind of volume. Yeah, his role in college will be his role in the NBA, and so um, I think that's important. Is is that there's not going to be any adjustments of how he plays as far on the offensive end between NBA and college. Now, he may not get 10 three-point attempts a game, but you never know <laughs> the way the NBA is going. Exactly, exactly. We'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. So who do you have in the top five as our top five starts right now with number five for the top 10 shooting guards headed to the NBA draft? Number five, I have uh, Desmond Bain. 
Now he's one of the best shooters in all of college basketball. He's been consistent throughout his career. I mean, just looking at his numbers, three out of the four years he was at TCU, he shot over 40% from three. And even as a freshman, his worst year was 38% from three. So he definitely has a translatable role. He he took he took about six threes a game this year and shot 44% from three. He's kind of stiff. He's not much of a creator off the ball, but he has a strong frame. He rebounds well. He can, you know, make passes. He has about four assists a game playing off the ball. He's older, so I think that kind of hurts him a little bit. And, um, you know, like we said, you know, two or three times in this particular podcast that the older you are, the more your game is critiqued and the more teams probably figure that you you don't have much upside. But he's definitely a guy who I could see falling to one of these teams that are really good, that will be at the possibly at the end of the first round. And you look at your teams at the end of the first round, it's your Lakers, your Bucks, those teams. And he can come in right away, play his role, and he compliments LeBron or Giannis or any star because he's a knockdown shooter. There you and go. Experience. So you don't necessarily have to, I mean, I don't know, only in basketball is 21 or 22 considered old, but <laughs> I think that he's a guy that, that in esports, my friend. That in esports. Oh yeah, definitely esports. But he's a guy that that, like I said, he he knows his role, and he'll come in and and play it on the NBA team. And you, he's probably more likely to come in and contribute right away on a good team because you're not necessarily banking on upside. Well, there you go. That's number five right there for you. Who do you have at number four? Who's looking good at number four for you at this point in time? Number four is um, a guy that we've talked about on a previous podcast, Skylar Mays. Um, I really like Skylar because I think that he can play between the one and the two, but I think he has an advantage at the two because if he's paired with another point guard or uh, a primary ball handler, he does have some point guard skills to where he can be a secondary playmaker on the court, and then he can also play off the ball. And I, I've known Skyler since maybe like his going into a senior year in high school. If you look at him, he doesn't look athletic, but he's very sneaky athletic. And he'll catch a lot of people by surprise when he goes to the lane, but he's really smooth. He's, he's older. And he's a guy that I think can also come in and contribute right away. He may not have the high upside as some of the guys that, you know, ahead of him on my list, but I do think that he can come in and contribute. Number three, you were going out of the top three right there for you. So these are the ones that are expected to go really high in the NBA draft because obviously the focus now is more about the wings, focuses more on the guard play here in the NBA. I mean, James Wiseman, we've talked about as far as centers. Uh, with Onyeka Okongwu, maybe the only other center besides him or or big man that could be picked in that realm. So it's going to be all guards, all going to be all wings. So at this point in time, we're now really getting high up there. Who is your number three pick so far right now? Looking at it right now, of shooting guards headed to the NBA draft. Number three, I have a, a fellow, well, 
he's a, a Texas guy. Um, I live in the Dallas area, so he's a guy that I've had a chance to see in high school. Um, Jemias Ramsey, he actually surprised me a lot. I knew that he was a, a very competitive, athletic, and I knew he played with a toughness and, you know, he played all over the floor as a, as a defender. But what I did not expect is for him to shoot the ball as well as he did his freshman year. I know he missed some games with injuries, but he shot over 42% from three. And he's just a guy that's tough. You know, he took about five threes a game. So the 42% on five threes a game is, is legitimate. I, I was actually, like I said, I was surprised. I just did not think that he would come in and shoot as well as he did. But another reason why I may have been surprised is because he's not a good free throw shooter. So I think this year he shot below 65% from three. So you have to wonder which is which, you know, is, is you mean the, the free throw line. Yeah. From the free throw line is the free throw shooting a true indicator of his shooting or is it the three point shooting where he shot, like I said, 42% on five attempts a game. That would be, that's the ultimate question. You know, was it something that was, sustainable is he really that good of a three-point shooter but on, on paper he is but i think that he brings a little bit more to the table than just his outside shooting he he rebounds for a guard he's a good wing shot blocker and i think that's pretty that's pretty important that's something that i think is valuable to nba scouts especially you know if you're looking for switchable defenders he's only about six four so he may be considered undersized for a shooting guard and that's something I wanted to ask you. I mean, could that be a little bit undersized? I mean, 6'4", 10 years ago would have been just fine for a shooting guards. But right now, we're talking about players as tall as 6'9", mm-hmm. you know, shooting guards that are right now playing in the NBA or, you know, as we're looking at as far as prospects for the NBA draft. Is 6'4", something that's going to be a problem for him? For him, I don't think so because I think he makes up for it with his effort and toughness. He averages still a game, almost a still in the block a game at 6'4". And he plays hard. He's an effort guy. And so I think you can make up for your lack of height. I don't have his wingspan off the top of my head, but I think in today's NBA and maybe even, in, you know, maybe in the past, but I feel like it's more discussed today. But I think it's more important how long your arms are than how tall you are. So if you're 6'4", with a 6'4 wingspan – I think that may work against you. But if you're 6'4 with a 6'7 wingspan, I think that helps you more than being 6'. I think that helps you out if you're only 6'4. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, yes, his three-point shooting obviously was very effective in college basketball at just under 43%. But when I ask you, his true shooting percentage doesn't seem to pan out very well because, like you said, his – well, actually mediocre at best free throw shooting, plus also two-point free field goal shooting is not that impressive. So that's what I would say as far as a, maybe a, like a, if you're saying all the good things that he has, maybe I'd say some mm-hmm. of the, the drawbacks or concerns that I would have if I'm a GM or whatnot to say, you know, his overall percentage as far as from the two-point area is not that great. Is that something of, of a concern? Is that something maybe about shot selection, the way the team is structured as far as offense? You and I both know Texas Tech, especially when they were going into the Final Four in, in recent times, it's not that high 
octane offense at all. But is that a problem as far as going forward, or do you think he can develop the short game as well as he has from the three-point area? That's the million-dollar question. I think one of the reasons why his his um, two-point field goal percentage is so low is because he has a tendency to play out of control, and he kind of plays a little wild. But the same aggressiveness that he shows on the offensive end with his shot selection also translates to him being, you know, I think a plus defender because he's he's such a high-motor, high-energy guy, and he's so competitive that it kind of balances out a little bit. I think with a little bit of training and development, the right system around him, he'll start taking better shots. And I think he needs to work on finishing off one foot. I think because he's such a two-foot finisher, sometimes when he's around the basket, he um, that split second between jumping off two is the difference between a contested layup and an open layup. And so I think because he likes to finish off two and he's not as explosive off one, it'll, it causes him to miss a lot of shots at the rim, which is something that I, I felt like Donovan Mitchell had the same issue coming into the NBA was he wasn't a good finisher off one, but then he developed. I mean, between his last year at Louisville and his first year at um, in Utah, I felt like the biggest difference between his game was he became such a better finisher and more craftier finisher around the rim because he was able to jump off one foot and had a different added a different package of layups and shots around the rim and so i think if jamias has a similar development i think that it will help his his overall field goal percentage and true shooting percentage i was looking up the stats for him and i'm seeing on several different draft boards he is not risen up as highly as he, you think of him because uh, I thought right now shooting guards, something that maybe you're talking about the lottery, you're talking about right in that 15, 20 range as far as the, the you know, when you're talking about the number three pick, a number three shooting guard in the NBA draft, you're thinking that it's going to, he's going to go right somewhere in the lottery, late lottery, maybe even the 20s. And I see him and I've looked at, uh, that's what I was doing, was looking at the different draft boards for him and his status. I looked on five real quick. And at all five, it has him right at that edge, that fringe of the first and second round. So what do you see in him that you think others may not? Well, no, I actually agree with that as the fringe late first round. I think the reason why mine comes out a little different is because I had Josh Green as a small forward. I had a couple guys listed as threes instead of twos. Okay. So I threw my list off. But I do have him as a guy that is – you know, I think he can go between 20 and 35. Okay. All yeah. right. That's what I wanted to ask to make sure, because when you have that and you see that as far as your projections, I thought it was like a little bit of a difference there, but I, I'm looking at it. And I, if he can develop that two point game and you're right, have better choices and, and shot selection I think he can go and sneak somewhere onto the back end of the lottery or maybe somewhere in the early 20s and be a good pickup. Can he play a little bit of the point? Because some of these sites are actually projecting him as a kind of like a tweener between a point and a shooting guard. Uh, I don't think so. I think um, he's a high turnover guy. I think that at least right now in his career, I don't see him as a guy who I would – 
like to initiate the offense. I think maybe a, a secondary playmaker. And I mean, the comparison I have for him, and it could be a lazy comparison because they're both guys from the Dallas area, but I think a Marcus Smart type player is the is someone who I project him to be like. So he can, you know, you may have him as, I mean, Marcus Smart doesn't have a position. He's not a one, he's not a two. He's just he's just a Marcus Smart player. He he may be in the lineup as the one, but he may be defending the four. So I think Ramsey is just one of these positionless basketball players that that you can't really define him by a position. But I think that he may it may be you know it may be natural to think like oh, okay, well at six four he could probably steal some minutes at the point, but I just can't imagine a situation now where a team would throw him out and have him at the point and him being a better decision maker than somebody that they already have on the roster. Fair enough. Fair enough. We're down to our final two, my friend. So number two shooting guard who you think is going to be at the top of everybody's list for shooting guards at the NBA draft. It's another Texas guy. It's a guy who I've had a chance to watch in high school also. And it's RJ Hampton. RJ is kind of similar as far as you can't really define him by a position. I think someone's going to try to turn him into a point. And that's um, what I was going to say. Yeah. So, but I think he's best as a secondary playmaker. I think as far as passing, he makes good decisions. He can find the role man. He does a good job of getting into the paint and throwing skip passes to the corner, which can lead to open shots or hockey assists. But I think that he's best suited as a guy that can come in and play a little point for you in a pinch. But if you pair him with another point guard, then you have two guys that can run pick and rolls, two guys that can make passes. So I think his best position long-term is, is as a kind of like a, a combo guard. His assist to turnover ratio in the Australian Basketball League was pretty good from what I was able to read up on him. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good, especially considering the fact that he had to make such an adjustment to his game because he played with some pretty big-time scorers over there. And um, and he just had to really adjust. I mean, like I said, I, I saw him in high school, and he was a dominant high school player. He could get to the free throw line 10 times a game. He could score 40 points. He was bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic than everyone. And I think that playing in Australia, it was the first time that he wasn't the best player on the court. It was the first time that he had to fit around guys. And I thought that he made a good adjustment. And I honestly didn't know what position he was before he went to Australia. I just felt like, man, this kid can score the basketball. He may not be that good of a shooter, but there's nobody who's fast enough or big enough to stop him in high school from getting to the rim. Either he's going to score up the rim or he's going to get to the free throw line. And so I felt like he, he was able to show that he can make passes, that he can play off the ball and that, um, you know, he doesn't need to have the ball in his hands every play to be effective. So he's actually risen in my eyes. Well, there you go. I think he's going to be a really solid player in the NBA. I don't think he provides a lot of flash, but I do think his 
that he can be a winning player. I have this feeling. It's just just my gut feeling from what I've seen on your videos, on your site, NBA Draft Junkies, on YouTube, and what I've seen as far as actually read your article when you went to go to Alta Australia to go ahead and see him in person, mm-hmm. and just the things I've been reading up on and listening. I really think he's going to be a solid contributor to an NBA team. And I'm not talking about on a bad NBA team. I think he could be a solid key a positional piece as far as a complimentary player on a winning basketball team. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I have him. And I actually talked to his dad. I mean, I, I we kind of run in the same circles a little bit. So I saw him, I saw him last week and he's, he's gained weight. He's gotten stronger. He looks like a wing. Like if you see him, he looks like if you had to just look at his body type and guess what position he is, he looks like he's a three. But the thing that I like about him is he's, he's very competitive but I think, and I talked to his dad about it, and you know, his dad was asking me why I have him going to the Spurs on my mop. And I said, I just think that he plays that type of winning basketball. He's not a guy that if you put him on a bad team, he's going to go out and get a lot of empty stats. I just think that the way that he plays and the way that, you know, his competitive fires that he wants to win, he's not about putting up big empty numbers. And I just think like going to a team like San Antonio and uh, I mean, I think they need to rebuild for one, but I think that he could come in and possibly contribute there just because I don't feel like the offense that they've been running the last few years is a typical pop pop of it offense because they got isolation players and guys that like to score in the mid range. But I think he's a guy with his first step, and his speed, he can get into the paint off pick and rolls. And then once he gets in the paint, he does a good job of making that skip pass that the Spurs love, which, you know, it always ends up turning into hockey assists. So I think he's a Spurs guy. It's just a matter of will he be there in the Spurs draft. And they have so many guards. But in my opinion, I feel like the Spurs are going to make some changes. They're going to rebuild and they're going to get back to playing the basketball that they want to play as far as their offense. I think they were just kind of had their hands tied when they added DeMar because he's not really a Popovich guy, in my opinion. I agree with you on that. Uh, I think those, you know, there's going to be eventually an end to those uh, 15 to 20 foot jumpers that statistically will drive analysts and numbers guys absolutely nuts. But the mm-hmm. DeMar DeRozans and the Marcus Aldridge, Aldridge shooting all those two-point jumpers, that may eventually become a thing of the past, and I think it will be sooner rather than later. And you're right, they're going to have to have with those the guards. Yes, they have a lot of guards there, but do they all fit with each other? And that could be a thing where they realize that, so maybe you might see some movement there, and that would open up for a player like R.J. Hampton, who, again, like I said, could be very much from what I'm seeing a winning player on a winning team. I agree, and I think with the Spurs – I'm not a guy that's totally against a mid-range shot, but I feel like you can't have your best two players. That's where they want the ball at, and that's their favorite shot. You can even make a case and say maybe their best three players because Rudy Gay is a guy that likes the mid-range pull-up also. And that's and that's you know sad to see because Rudy Gay has developed that three-point area to the point where he became, I think last year, or that wasn't this year, but last year was one of the statistically the best three-point shooters in the league. So imagine that. Yeah. yeah, but I think if I'm not mistaken, the Spurs are 
they shot a good percentage from three, but they, they just don't shoot it much. Yeah, which is really weird because you know a few years ago they were able to beat teams because they had stretch fours and fives that could spread the floor and they played a European style basketball. And now they've, I don't know, it's like they went back to the nineties. Should have learned from when Ray Allen beat them in Miami, <laughs> but you know, I digress. So, all right, we're down to our last one, my friend, the top player right now at shooting guard that you think will be headed to the NBA draft. This is probably the easiest prediction. Anthony Edwards is, is my number one shooting guard on the list. I think that he he may be able to play a little bit of one down the line once he's in his prime, uh, maybe not full-time, but I, I do think that he does have some of the passing instincts, but he just passes the eye test, like how he moves, and just like how he he handles the ball, his athleticism, his, his size, his strength, everything that that you kind of look for in a modern day NBA, NBA combo guard, shooting guard. I think he has all of it as far as the physical tools. But yeah, the question I have about, about him is, I mean, I think he needs to improve as a shooter, which is obvious. He's more of a scorer than a, than a shooter, but he is the guy that I believe is going to have the ball in his hands. So he may not have to shoot a lot of catch and shoot threes. I mean, I guess if there was one question I had about him is is um, his shot selection. He settles for a lot of pull-up jumpers when I think that he has the skills and the and the body to be able to get to the free throw line and just attack, attack, attack. So as long as he just kind of continues to develop and, and grow and and just become more aggressive of a score, then I think the sky's the limit for him. Well, one of the things I've been in doing a lot of research about him that I'm seeing a lot of feedback on is the fact that uh, on talent, he could be, he's probably the number one player in the NBA draft, mm-hmm. but desire and maybe uh, I've also heard the term feel for the game and court awareness because he did pick it up uh, the basketball game a little bit later. Uh, you know, I think he was playing football before for a great part of his younger years and didn't pick it up until his what his freshman or sophomore year in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that's the case, he might still have more time to develop needed development there. But I think a lot of people are are doing comparisons to him and Andrew Wiggins, which is not at this point in time very favorable. Yeah, I mean, that's a comparison that I think uh, I made on the um, – a deal that I have with my brother. But then I think you can say the same for Wiseman too, as far as guys that are like just super, super talented. But you you question if they have the personality to carry a team. Like, you know, I kind of call it that dog mentality. I think Edwards showed it in the Michigan State game. And he showed that defensively he can make an impact on, on both ends of the floor. And he's a shot maker. Like he, he can make tough shots, but I just feel like he, he settles for, and it, it, honestly, this could be nitpicking because if you look at his stats, he got to the free throw line around four or five times a game, which is pretty good. But I still feel like there could be more. Like he just had too many possessions where he dribbled, dribbled, and shot a pull up contested jumper as opposed to just attacking. And 
you know, maybe that a change with NBA as far as spacing, the lane won't be as congested. But the sky is the limit for this guy. He can handle the ball. He can score um, on his man one-on-one. He's athletic. He can finish at the rim. It's just a little bit of, you know, intangible things that you may have questions about. But also, he's so young. Like, I think he reclassified, if I'm not mistaken. So he could easily be a senior in high school. That's true. But the only that's like I said, it, there's still a lot more development that could be had because mm-hmm. football was his original target goal. And he was switched over to or he switched over to basketball because he realized he could probably make a longer and better career out of basketball. I just I just worry when somebody tells me or has any comparisons to Andrew Wiggins and it's not because of uh, necessarily 100 percent of talent. It's it's some of the other intangibles that are there, that kind of scares me. And as a team, that would kind of scare me also. Yeah, and I think that I can I can see the comparisons a little bit. I think that, I mean, if you look at the Michigan State game, like I mentioned earlier, I don't think Wiggins had a game of that caliber in college where he just took over. And I feel like people wanted to see more of that from him. I think that was a teaser. So I think that game may have helped him a lot, but it also may have made people say, like, can you bring this every night? And I think that's what has led to some of the questions. But also, I mean, if, you know, I read the stories about him being a football player. And so I think that's also what makes people want a little more because he may not have the football player mentality that you think about when you think of a former football player. Because a lot of times when I think of a former football player that switched to basketball, I think of this really aggressive person that enjoys physical contact and they're seeking contact. While he has the body type to do it, but he just settles for jumpers. Way too many mid-range pull-up jumpers. That's something he's going to have to work on. Uh, I think the talent is there. Like I said, I'm just concerned if the desire and the heart is going to be there along with it. I think a lot of people are asking those same questions as well. And he could very well go number one in the NBA draft, uh, but then he could fall because of those same issues as well. Yeah, I really don't see him falling too far. But, I mean, I think with this draft, it's it's such a crapshoot because the teams that are picking in the draft – you know, it may not I – mean, like, for example, if Cleveland has a number one pick, do they take another guard? If Golden State has a number one pick, do they take another guard? I mean, because they already have Steph, Clay, and Wiggins at the three. Um, Atlanta, do you – I mean, that's his hometown. They may take him, even though they already have drafted a, a two or a three within the last few drafts. So I think if he falls, it may be – because of fit, but I think everybody is high on his upside. Well, there you have it. That's the top 10 shooting guards in the NBA draft, as told to me, and that's actually a pretty darn good list, by Mr. Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. Before we head on out, my friend, I know it's been a little bit of a longer episode, so I thank you for sticking out with me and and hanging out as we tackled a lot of subjects, including the top Mm -hmm. 10 shooting guards in the NBA draft, but it's always such a great conversation with you. Just can't help it. Just can't help it. Always talking basketball with you. But before we head on out, 
people have got to be informed on exactly what's going on with your awesome experience known as NBA Draft Junkies. It's the same, you know, just working, trying to put out content. I do, um, I have some plans that I want to start in June 1st is my target date, but I definitely want to, um, you know, just kind of make my channel and make my content better. So that's something that I'm working on. But between then, I will just keep putting out videos. I just made another Killian Hayes video where I broke down his um, offensive strengths and areas for improvement. I should have, by the time this podcast comes out, have one with uh, Cole Anthony. And then I'm just kind of working my way down the list. And what I'm doing that may be a little bit different, or, or maybe it's somebody, another guy or two that may be doing it, but I'm breaking down the videos into two. Each player will have an uh, offensive strengths video and another video with the areas of improvement. But during the video, instead of just putting the clips on there and having like a little message that says, you know, good three-point shooter, I'm actually talking through the video and explaining what I see. And so that takes a little bit more time, but I just, um, you know, I just want my, I want my channel to be the best. I want my channel to be the channel that if you're into the draft, if you're a draft junkie that you go to and find out the information of the player that your team may draft or, or a player that you like. So I'm trying to put in a little bit more work in, instead of just um, doing what I had did in the past, which is just make a video and of their offensive strengths and just kind of put stats out there. So trying to do a little bit more. So the content won't be, I won't be able to put out five or six videos a week, individual videos a week, but instead I have a more deeper analysis. Oh, there you go. And you can find that at NBA Draft Junkies. That's on YouTube. Please subscribe and like his videos today like I have. And then also you can go to his great site for his not only his mock draft, but great articles and so much more at NBADraftJunkies.com. Well, my friend, speaking of Killian Hayes and also mm -hmm. Cole Anthony, the next time we speak, we're going to be discussing some point guard action here because the point guards are the last position on our list as far as the top 10 prospects in the NBA draft. I'm looking forward to that one. And I've been on your Twitter at Barlow 500 and also at NBA draft junkies. And you've been saying a lot of things about Cole Anthony lately that you and I were going to have to talk about on our next episode. Yeah. I mean, I'm going through the process of watching guys for the second time. And uh, you can see like the improvements that they've made between the start of the season and the first you know, few games where I watched their videos and, and now that the season is over. So my, my thought process is changing and there will be guys that are, you know, will move up or down on my draft board based off of what I saw in my second wave of watching films. So Cole Anthony is a guy that you can just stay tuned to see if he's went up or if he's went down. Well, it's going to be interesting to talk about because the point guards are always a point. Uh, oh, pardon the pun there. A point of contention right here coming up right on the Lakers fast break. Something I know the Lakers will be definitely looking at because there's obviously a need there after LeBron James for a point guard if they do decide to keep their draft coming up. So it's going to be a very interesting conversation coming up in the top 10 point guards headed to the NBA draft coming up very soon right here at the Lakers fast break. If you like what we do, please give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can go ahead and review podcasts on your podcast channel. We're available everywhere you get your podcasts, so we cannot thank you enough for listening. If you have any questions for me or questions I could pass along to Raphael, 
please, you can go ahead at Lakers Fast Break on Twitter or Lakers Fast Break at Yahoo.com. Well, Raphael, it's been great talking to you one more time. We could just go ahead all day long and talk basketball, my gosh, to just clog up the internet with all of our talk on NBA, all the different facets, both back in the past, now in the present, and upcoming in the future. Always a great conversation with you right here at the Lakers Fast Break Podcast.